Channel Futures Podcast, Coffee with Craig and James. I'm the editorial director for Channel Futures, Craig Galbraith. Joining me, as always, my partner in crime, our news editor, Mr. Anderson, Mr. James Anderson. James, how the heck are you? I'm doing heckin' well, my friend. Um, How are you doing? I am so good. Uh, We got Thanksgiving here coming up uh, just around the corner. We're almost there. I'm looking forward to some turkey, some stuffing, some potatoes. Just go down the list. It's going to be another robust feast. Yeah, I think if I were to describe it in a single word, robust, no doubt I would use the word robust. It's going to be a great time settling down with uh, some of the people we care about most. And and just uh, for me, I'm going to have to watch the lions loose to the bears. On Thanksgiving, that's going to be hard, Um, but, uh, you know, it's just good to be alive, isn't it? I like the word robust, too, because that's what's going to describe my gut probably late Thursday afternoon and then probably Friday afternoon with all the leftovers. Uh, It's going to be a good time. It's one of my favorite holidays, and already in advance, condolences to your Lions. Although, if they're going to beat anybody this year, it could be the Bears. We'll see. Thank you. You know, I live in Chicago and I've got some very depressed Bears fans who are like telling me the Lions are going to win. And I still don't think they get it yet, but uh, I I appreciate some of the sentiments. Yes, you bet. And we're going to talk just a little bit of football because it's an appropriate time of year uh, in just a little bit. Um, But first, I I wanted to look back uh, briefly to the Channel Partners Conference and Expo. It's hard to believe this is our first podcast since the conclusion of that robust event uh what what'd you think i mean it was it was unbelievable we had a record number of sponsors and exhibitors over 320 uh, we had attendance that was right there with our 2019 pre-pandemic numbers around 6200 a total registrants for the event it it blew me away the channel's dedication to get back together for networking education it was just uh phenomenal phenomenal Phenomenal, whatever the word is, phenomenal. It's difficult to say. It's like cinnamon, minimum. Oh, man. Phenomenal is a very good <laughs> hybrid word, Craig. Let's pencil that one in for our vocabulary. Phenomenal. That's good. <laughs> you got it. Next time we do channel Mad Lips, I think I should be able to use that. Both formidable and phenomenal. Oh, I love it. Yeah, Craig, I had a great time. I think it, you could tell kind of off LinkedIn that there were a lot of people who had a fantastic time, I think really from a social perspective, but also had a lot of people telling me that uh, business was pretty good um, for them, Mm -hmm. lots of opportunities, um, and that the in-person interaction just is irreplaceable, invaluable um, for business, for uh, generating some of those leads and, 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 and stuff like that. So I, I was very, very happy with it, Craig. Yeah, it was a great time and good to hear that the folks you talked to 
uh, got so many of those business opportunities because that's uh, what it's all about when it comes right down to it. Um, so looking forward now, James, uh, I think the dates have been out there, but I want our loyal casties uh, to know what we're looking at for next year. Uh, we'll be right back there in Vegas, this time at the Venetian for the Channel Partners Conference and Expo Spring 2022 edition, uh, April 11th through the 14th. It's going to be here before we know it. Craig, it's going to be exciting. Uh, there's a lot more announcements around that to come, and I'm yeah. I'm very excited to be working on some of those. Uh, can't tell them all right now, but I'm I'm very excited for it. I'm excited. I, I think I know where you're going, but uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna be talking about some exciting stuff around that for sure, uh, coming up pretty soon. Uh, then also we've got our, our uh, London event, Channel Evolution Europe returns in June as part of London Tech Week, so we're excited about that. And then September 12th through the 15th, the standalone MSP Summit. Of course, we got a little taste of that co-located with Channel Partners Conference and Expo here a few weeks ago. But uh, we're going to be in Orlando for that September 12th through the 15th. So it is great to see all these live events back on the schedule and, and at least somewhat of a return to normalcy. People getting back together. Uh, I couldn't be more pumped for 2022, buddy. Oh, yeah, we're going to have a I'm very excited to see you again, my friend. So, Craig, um, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up uh, our excellent, much-anticipated fantasy football matchup oh. this week. Uh, and uh, just got to give you congratulations, man. Hard-fought hard fought battle. Yeah, it, it really wasn't. Uh, you clobbered me uh, this week. I, I have to say I was I was a little ashamed. Uh, but that's okay. Uh, I'm still hanging in there at uh, seven and four in the playoff chase. And, and you're making a little bit of a surge here in the league that we have uh, from some current and former Channel Futures Channel Partners employees. But, uh, you know, it's going to be fun down the stretch. We've got three weeks to go before the playoffs. Uh, I should make it, and, and you got to make a little bit of a push, but I think you're going to be in there too. Well, thanks, my man. Uh, you know, nothing but love uh, from this side of the, the country. <laughs> All right, so we've got another great show ahead. I kind of sound like I'm on a Saturday Night Live again whenever I say that. But... Uh, You've lined up another interview with one of your contacts in the agent slash broker community. Eager to hear a little bit about that that we're going to be doing uh, here in a few minutes. Yeah, I really enjoyed it uh, with a partner that I've, I've gotten to know pretty well this year. Talking a little bit about developing intellectual property, developing a cloud pro practice um, from, a, from a broker perspective. That was really interesting. Nice, nice. Looking forward to that. Uh, that's our second interview in the show coming up just a little bit later. Uh, but first, I know it's one of your favorite segments. Uh, we got an excellent interview with John Arnold, channel analyst extraordinaire, uh, a close contact of our good friend, uh, Edward Gately, on our edit team. And uh, he regularly taps John's knowledge for stories in the unified communication space, mergers and acquisitions, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, it wouldn't be an Ed interview without setting it up with this. Where in the world is Edward Gately? To use the word, I mean, Craig, he's one of the most robust channel reporters that we have on this green planet. One of the best, especially if you're talking UCAS, cyber security, and any sort of breaking news. He's your guy, your person for the news. Oh, yeah. And he's uh, set to get some great insight here from John Arnold. 
Ed, take it away. Hi, this is Edward Gately, news editor at Channel Futures. Copper retirement or sunset is taking place across the country and plain old telephone service is plummeting. So what does this mean for the channel? John Arnold, principal of J. Arnold and Associates, is here to talk about it with us. How are you, John? Hey, oh, just great, Edward. Uh, doing fine. You sound great, too. And um, yeah, really happy to be here with you. Uh, really looking forward to doing this podcast with you and uh this is a really important topic that people might be might be creeping up on people a bit so uh, first question okay i see the fcc copper retirement notifications all the time from across the country what does that really mean and what's taking place overall so as we know uh the incumbents verizon at&t in the u.s and the pcts elsewhere you know they've all been looking to wash their hands you know, and move on from the PSTN because, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously been in decline ever since VoIP came on the scene. And it's going to, you know, it's becoming a very expensive network to maintain and to service. And there's no innovation. There's no investment going into this anymore. So it's, you know, it's like you're, you're, you're kind of managing an old asset that is still widely used, but it's not it's not where it's at for people today, and it's certainly not where the future is. And, you know, this goes back, Edward, to really when VoIP came on the scene in a big way, which was around 2004, you know, early 2000s. It um, had kind of hit the market when broadband was still not popular, but it represented the alternative to PSTN. And that, that's probably a good starting point for this conversation is to why we're even talking about this idea. Okay, you mentioned this, who all is retiring copper and what are they switching to instead? Yeah, so the they in this conversation, of course, would be the primarily the incumbent carriers. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about telephony, you know, there's a consumer market and there's a business market. And, the you know, the original charter for the phone company, which is why they were assigned, you know, monopoly status back in the day was that in exchange for that protection, right, they would build a universal network that would allow everybody and anybody who had the means to connect to a phone system and make and take phone calls. And that was a very, that was a radical kind of uplift in our standards of of our consumer society and connecting us as a country, much like the railroads did, much like the telegraph did. I'm going way back in time, but you have to remember that the monopoly that they were granted was there so they could, in exchange, provide universal service for everybody. And that's how the phone network has operated for, you know, for decades long. But, you know, with the advent of the internet, with uh, IP, internet protocol, and the emergence of an alternative VoIP, which could run over an alternative network that kind of competed with the PSTN, that really threw a big wrench into, into things because now there was another way to do telephony on a broad basis. And so the they are the incumbents who build and run these copper networks, which are incredibly resilient, incredibly reliable, um, and perform really high levels of service for, you know, basically the whole country. But now 
the, the, the move away, the replacement, there are a few factors that we've all been living with for probably the last 20 plus years. But the first is what we call mobile substitution, which is basically the rise of cellular phones, which have now been, you know, supplanted by smartphones. But, you know, basically when you can make calls over a mobile network, you're not tethered to that landline at home or in the office for that matter, right? That's one thing. But then there's also been this ongoing build out of broadband, you know, high speed internet networks led primarily by the cable companies and some, to some extent, the incumbent telcos, but to a much larger extent, the competitive carriers that sprung up as a result of deregulation in 1984. And that's what caused the explosion and in innovation in this space which gave rise to all of these other carriers who were trying to create broadband networks that would eventually replace PSTN and copper service, but also of course carry internet connection along with phone service. So, you know, there's competing forces for the PSTN, primarily mobile and broadband networks, which are largely taking the form of uh, fiber buildouts from the telcos and of course, you know, uh, coax cable from the cable codes. That's where it's shifting to. Now, what does Copper Sunset mean for the channel? Is it changing or limiting op- opportunities or creating new ones? Well, you know, it's, it's like when the vendors announce EOL, right? End of life. And we saw this with a lot of products, you know, as we've shifted from hardware to software, when vendors, you know, stop building and supporting physical pieces of equipment and replacing them with software-based alternatives. And it's the same thing here for the the sunset idea that once there's a hard date put on this, and that's what we're moving to, I think it's 2025 in the U.S., 2023 in the U.K., you know, along those lines, that's a target date to work backwards from and say, it's like a lot of things, you know, if you you have to have some kind of an alternative to this by that date. Otherwise, you will not be able to get service. Or if you insist on keeping that service, it's going to be a lot more expensive because the traffic is is too expensive to run the way it's been done now. So for the channel, that means they have to work with their customers to have a plan for copper-based telephony service. And that's just the start of the conversation, Edward, because it's a little more complicated than just moving your telephony system to uh, to VoIP or to the cloud even. Now, how do providers best deal with their customers when it comes to retiring copper? So because, you know, we've got a couple of years to go, mm-hmm. this is just another reason for businesses to be migrating away from premise-based technologies to the cloud. So just like we saw with the pandemic, right? The shift to that work from home environment, which you could really only support with cloud infrastructure. That was a real accelerator for companies to move to the cloud. And now that we've gone through that and seen that the cloud has held up really well, right? It's, it's, there's a confidence there for companies who were resisting this And that may make it a little easier for them to think about telephony because, you know, old habits die hard, right? I mean, telephony has been so good uh, with, 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 uh, you know, the copper network and TDM and, you know, the PSTN uh, environment 
for so long, we don't really think about it. So it's like one of those, if it's not broken, don't fix it. But the fact is the PSTN is not broken, but the companies that have been supporting that service have decided it's broken enough that they're going to decommission this network now. It's not viable for them to continue. So there is an end game here that says my, you know, for the channel, my end customers are going to have to find alternatives. So the easy alternative, Edward, is to just simply adopt cloud telephony, which, you know, many businesses have already done. And it's relatively easy thing to do. Where things get a little more complicated, though, Edward, is there are a lot of there are various forms of emergency services that still and applications that still require PSTN access. There are a lot of uh, businesses like law firms, real estate, etc., um, that are heavily reliant on fax. So believe it or not, you, you'd think fax would have gone away by now, but it's still a very important and healthy line of business in certain verticals. So that's something that is not easily replaced. Another example are emergency services in campus and, and building settings where, for example, the elevators that are used in buildings, they have to have for, for uh, you know emergency services, they have to have a telephony connection in those elevators to be able to call for help. And that's something that cannot be connected to the internet. So there are many of these like little areas that are still very important that need workarounds. Mm -hmm. So for the channel, there's, there are opportunities emerging that will address this. So we're talking about an interim solution for a couple of years until this sunset happens. So I will cite one vendor in particular, not, not to be, you know, pushing any one particular company, but Uma recently came out with an offering called AirDial. And it's designed specifically for these situations where companies are not ready yet to fully migrate to the cloud and are going to need some kind of interim solutions. And these things always pop up when there are these transitions in the market. Vendors will respond to say, hey, there's going to be some gaps here and we need some offerings that will address them. So I expect to see others do similar things because there's still a pretty big install base out there using these landline services. And then my last question is, are we ever going to reach a point where copper is a thing of the past? Well, I think so. In terms of telephony service as we know it, yes. Um, I kind of say tongue in cheek, though, Edward, because this network has been around for so long and continues to perform really, really well, they're just like the pandemic threatened to, you know, slow down everything on the planet. If there's ever, I hate to say it, but an apocalyptic wipeout event that destroys life as we know it on our planet, I bet you the one thing that will survive will be that copper network. It is so resilient. I, I To me, it's kind of like it's indestructible. And, you know, hundreds of years from now, they'll dig up these things and our successors will wonder, what was this? What did we use it for? But the fact is, it, it will still remain. But, you know, copper itself is a very valuable commodity. And, you know, the bad guys are always looking for ways to, to steal copper any way they can. So I wouldn't be surprised if it goes so far to be decommissioned 
that uh, the telcos may end up digging that network up to just to sell for the value of the copper itself. But yeah, you know, the PST in itself, until it's physically dismantled, will probably continue for many years to come. As I say, there's always a price to be paid. So for some people who just absolutely insist on keeping access to copper, they're just going to have to pay a very high amount for it. And that's just the reality. Because one of the challenges is when I come back to how we started, Edward, where the original Bell Network was granted monopoly status to provide universal service, you know, this is kind of pushing some buttons for what we call the digital divide, which I'm sure you've heard about by now. This idea that if you don't have access to broadband, you are going to be economically disadvantaged in this digital age we're living in right now. And it's a big issue. And it's big enough that, you know, the FCC is finally, you know, uh, getting new leadership that will hopefully be a little more in line with what's needed here. Because basically, the carriers have not been able to build out fiber fast enough to address this. And 5G is still coming. It's not here yet. So what I'm trying to say is when copper is decommissioned, the concept of universal telephony service will no longer exist. And when you think about it, you know, when that goes away, you, the only people who are going to have telephony are those who can afford it and can get access to broadband. So if you can't afford a mobile phone or you can't get broadband because you live in a rural area or in the mountains or places that wireline networks can't reach, you are going to have real uh, shortcomings that are going to be hard to overcome. And this is part of this digital divide that is really, you know, it's an economic issue. It's a policy issue. It's not a technology issue. So this, this is something that's coming we have to be thinking about because, you know, the broadband providers aren't in the business of offering universal service. That's not their mandate. Their mandate is to make profit for their shareholders and provide the, you know, best service at the lowest cost. They're not concerned really by on any level of providing service for everybody. Unless it's set by government policy and that's where the FCC comes in, that will be at risk. So this digital divide is an important consideration when you think about, you know, for the channel, it's a good driver to say, hey, you know, you've got to get broadband, you've got to get onto the cloud because this is the only way you're going to be able to provide service to your customers. And, you know, don't forget, every business customer is a consumer too. And if they're living in rural places, they understand what that means. Thanks for all the information, John, and thanks for talking to me. Okay, Edward, yeah, you're welcome. And I'm really glad we could do this today. And I hope we can do another one down the road. Definitely. All right, another great interview from Ed. I love that segment, James. Uh, I found it the interesting uh, conversation there about copper retirement. It's a, a topic that when we run stories on, our, on the website, it's not like we run them often. But when we do, they really get a lot of attention, especially our legacy uh, telecom audience from the Channel Partners online side of the house uh, is really curious when they read about those big copper retirements and the evolution of the technology and, and how that's going to impact some folks uh, in those areas. So it was good to uh, actually hear a conversation about that beyond uh, what we just uh, run occasionally on the website. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's incredibly relevant, especially for some of these partners who have strong customer relationships that they've had for a long time to be able to go back into into that customer's um, technology stack and and do a refresh like there's a lot of opportunity there so it's it's good stuff yeah.
So uh, what you're hearing there in the background is a little montage of songs featuring the word bridge. And why do I do that, you ask? Why do you do that, Craig? Yes, thank you. Thank you, James. Just a little insider baseball here. For those of you who are not familiar, it, a, a good podcast is like a good song, right? You have like the verse and the chorus. You have the verse and the chorus. And then you hit that bridge. And that's what we refer to this segment of the podcast, a bridge between our two interviews, where you and I come up with some sort of silly nonsense, as I have done today. I love it. Uh, we're all about silly nonsense. You know, I'm all about bridges, too. My father has like a top 10 list of his favorite bridges. He can he can tell you the bridge of any song. And so I naturally nice. try to, you know, try to emulate him a little bit in that in that love. I love that. Well, I, if we had time, I'd play some of my favorite bridges from songs. But uh, alas, we don't because the internet can only store so much information. So uh, <laughs> on that note, I have developed a little uh, trivia contest for you. How, how do you feel about that? I love trivia, Craig. I love um, humiliating myself in topics that I don't know much about uh, in front of a public audience. Uh, so these <laughs> things line up really well. Let's do it. That is fantastic. Now, this is uh, this is going to be interesting. You're going to get some of these right. I can tell you that right now. So uh, I'm not setting you up for failure completely at this point. What we're going to do here is is playing off sort of the interview that Ed just had with John. We're going to go back in time. You know, we we're talking about legacy telecom providers and partners, the copper retirement. Uh, it made me think Channel Partners Online was around for so many years before we merged it with Channel Futures uh, here earlier this year that I thought I would go back to some of the original content we have in our archives and ask you, Mr. James Anderson, some questions based on this content. How do you feel about that? Ooh, I love a little bit of Throwback Thursday, whatever whatever day it is. Uh, always a fun <laughs> time, Craig. All right. Okay. We're going to do this. I've got six questions lined up for you based on this content, which, of course, I will set up for you and our audience and, and then ask you the question. Are you ready to go? Well, let's do this, Craig. Okay. And again, these will range from very difficult uh, to not difficult at all. We'll just uh, see how it goes. All right, so this story right here is not necessarily the very first story because not all of the content over the years when we've switched platforms has actually made the migration. But I can tell you this is the first story that shows up if you go back 2,200 landing pages in our strategy category on the Channel Futures website. And this is actually the first story that shows up, or in this case, it would be the last story uh, going backwards from current time to the past. So this story's headline is entitled Broadview Networks Names Channel Leader. And I'll just read you the first paragraph. Broadview Networks has announced the promotion of Rob Westervelt to Senior Vice President of Channel Partner Sales. In his new role, Westervelt will be responsible for the day-to-day -day management of the company's Channel Partner Sales Organization and overseeing the recruitment and training of new channel partners. Now, this story is dated March 14th, 2001. Now, curiously, I, I went to Rob's LinkedIn page and it shows him starting this job in 2005. So I'm thinking our dates on, on the website through many migrations are not necessarily correct. 
But anyway, this one appears to go back 16 years. So now that you have absorbed this, are you ready for your question? I think I am, Craig. Ron is still very active in the channel. Uh, who is his current employer? Shoot, Craig. You know, I wrote a story about him. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, oh, this is where I'm going to embarrass myself. Everything in my heart is telling me GTT. But Boom. I Excellent. Very well done. Oh, really? Is he still there? You trusted your heart. Yes. Uh, according to his LinkedIn page, he is still there. He's been there a couple years now. So congratulations for that. That was very good. Thanks, my man. Just don't yeah. ask me about tier three, two, Sebnet mask. No, network. I, I'm not, nothing's going to be that, okay. uh, that All right. difficult okay. for you. But that, that was pretty good. I felt that was one of the harder ones. So ding, ding, ding. Uh, here we go. On to question. Hey, Craig, by, the way, by the way, Craig, who wrote that story? Do we What's know? That? Do we know who wrote that story? Uh, no, it didn't have a uh, name on it. It didn't huh. convert over. I will let you know who wrote these if uh, the name did uh, transfer over. So uh, here we go. Okay, so the channel futures, uh, channel partners at the time team was very creative with some of their headlines, especially of the little features that they did back in the day. So I've got one here from January 31st, 2005. And I believe this date actually is correct. And this is a story written by Kelly, which I presume is our very own Kelly Teal, who is a contributing editor for Channel Futures, uh, who was writing for the brand back in the day. So this story is entitled Ding Dong, Bell South Calling. And the opening paragraph is uh, Bell South is taking a tried and true approach to reach residential customers with door-to-door -door sales. Sidcor, which provides outsourced sales operations, is outfitting Bell South with authorized agents for the effort. These representatives promote Bell South services, such as Bell South Fast Access DSL service, Bell South Long Distance, and direct TV service. What do, you, what do you think so far? I think it's interesting. Okay, so your question here is uh, Kelly's headline, uh, Ding Dong Bell South Calling, is a, uh, a spinoff of an old TV commercial uh, representing what company? I, I mean, at first I thought you were going to say The Wizard of Oz, but that's not company. I uh, know. That's an good, old, good old thinking. movie. You were thinking ahead, but no, that's not what I'm looking for. A, a TV commercial? Yes. Back ding from, I believe, the 60s. Uh, ding dong, blank is knocking. Calling, calling. Calling. Ding dong, blank calling. Well, that's weird because phones don't make a ding dong sound, or did they, Craig? Well, you're going to have to take that up with Kelly. Uh, yeah, you don't like very mixed metaphor. She's going to beat you to a pulp if uh, she hears you say that, so be careful. <laughs> well... <laughs> Because I can't think of a door company or a doorbell company from the 60s. So. Well, it's not a doorbell company. Ding dong, blank calling. Think of uh, somebody who is a company well known for door-to-door -door sales. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not religious, right? I uh, no. Okay. Uh-uh. Oh, this is now. I'm going to look silly here. Oh, it's the Girl Scouts. <laughs> no. No, the correct answer, as our audience is screaming uh, into their computers or their phones right now, is Avon. Ding dong, Avon calling. Avon calling. Avon calling. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't feel bad for not knowing that. You I didn't, mean, yeah. Well, it, it does go back uh, a few decades before your birth. However, um, that fairly well known, at least for people who, you know, are of a certain generation, and I knew it, and I'm not that generation. So, anyway. Respect. 
Uh, yes, thank you. Okay, moving on. Uh, very similar. Uh, very similar. Uh, this one does not have an author name on it, but it is one of these sort of punny headlines uh, related to popular culture. So here we go. Before I give you the headline, or the opening paragraph says, no sooner had the stardust started settling in Washington following the inaugural to celebrate George Bush's second term. When word came out that Michael Powell, chairman of the FCC during Bush's first term, was retiring from his post. Now, the headline of this story is The Leader and the Damage Done. So this headline is based on a famous song from years past by what artist? The what and the damage done? This is so the leader and the damage done. Yeah, okay, well, man, I don't... I... Would it help if I told you that this gentleman is known as the godfather of grunge? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, would it be Kurt Cobain and, and Nirvana? No. Oh. No, the correct answer here is Neil Young and his, uh, his famous song, The Needle and the Damage Done, uh, talking about drug abuse and, and so forth. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, you, you're, you're actually not getting the ones I thought you were going to get. Why, and, uh, why did you think I would get that right? I was freaking 10 years old at the time. Well... <laughs> And the song does go, does go back to what the '70s or something like that, so I, I can't remember. But uh, you know, you're gonna you're you're gonna get some more of these, I, I guarantee you. Okay, all right, we've got one more in that same vein. This uh, article goes back to February 28, 2005. We don't have an uh, author. Uh, faced with pressure to boost margins and generate profits, Global Crossing and Quest Communications have begun raising the rates they charge long-distance phone companies to ride their networks. This one was titled, Oh Margin, Where Art Thou? Which, of course, is a takeoff on the Coen Brothers film starring what worldly famous actor? That, my friend, would be George Clooney, star of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Ding, ding, ding. Well done. Well done. Okay, you're, you're two for four. You're batting 500 now. That would be <laughs> out of this world. Get you into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, I got two more for you. Are you ready to go? Let's do it. All right, here we have an article called Save the Planet, One Telecommuter at a Time. Siricom, a virtual network operator in the UK, has released a study highlighting the value of remote working. The company says its users kept more than 4,000 tons of carbon dioxide emissions from entering the atmosphere by telecommuting earlier this summer. Now, this story seems very timely because uh, I can only imagine that that number has risen dramatically with all of the people around the globe telecommuting and saving carbon dioxide emissions. Absolutely visionary. Frankly. So according to this story, how many tons of carbon dioxide had been saved from being discharged by not traveling or commuting to work during this time period? And the time period was wait, I already said I already said what the number was. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Okay, let That's me okay. let me change the question. <laughs> let, let me change the question. Yes. It said more than four thousand and uh now it says forty two hundred and ninety. So you would have gotten that right, but you probably weren't paying any attention. So I'll change the question anyway. Uh how many users was that according to this UK study back in 2005. I guess how many telecommuters saved 4,290 tons of carbon dioxide from entering the atmosphere? And more than just those using their products? Everybody? I have no idea, really. Okay, well, I'm going to do the math <laughs> It looks here. like, it, it, however they have determined this, uh, it is, they saved 4,290 tons of carbon dioxide. Right. So all you have to know 
to get this right is how many tons per person or how much carbon dioxide per person might be saved by telecommuting. Yeah, so I'm going to assume it's going to be, I want to say I create a lot of carbon dioxide by going to work. So driving to work or I did back in the day. So I'm going to say that the number of people is is more than the number of tons. I'm going to say, God, I'm going to seem so silly. Uh, No, I'll go more. I think there's more. I would say uh, five million people were telecommuting during that period. Well, you overshot it. And of course, since we don't actually have a a number here which describes if this is just in the UK or if it's worldwide, but the correct answer is 440,000. So you were about 10 times over. Wow. But, uh, you know, you at home can do the math, figure out exactly how many tons per person that is. Right. Um, Might be like one hundredth of a ton, how much that is. I don't know. Anyway. So that one, that one wasn't that great. I got I got one more for you. I want to finish off strong. Is that okay with you? Sounds great. All right. So uh, this is an article from February 28th, 2005. Uh, it's entitled Internet Phone Companies Ripe for Sale. And uh, this was written by someone you and I both know very well, a buddy of ours, Josh Long, uh, who is now writing for the Health and Nutrition Division of Informa. Yeah. But uh, back in the day, uh, he was writing for channel partners online that guy was a a heck he's a heck of a writer yeah a heck of a guy too so this story uh he kicks it off by saying as more phone and cable giants sweep into the internet phone market vonage and other voip startups like eight by eight a couple of very familiar names there Mm -hmm. could face escalating pressure to sustain growth and differentiate themselves from their larger rivals this is fun isn't it going back in time i like it It is especially with certain news about vonage uh recently i love Well, that's your question just this week another company announced that it is acquiring vonage who is that company that company is ericsson nice very well done. Okay, three for six. That's not bad at all. That's not bad at all. And the only ones you cracked on really were the ones that were sorted before your time. Well, and the ones that required me to know things about my carbon footprint, which I, I guess I don't well, know. Who, yeah. who, who would know that exactly? That's a very, very <laughs> challenging question right there. But I, I'm impressed. I think this is the best you've ever done on a, on a contest <laughs> like this. Thanks, so, man. It was fun, and, and uh, it's great going back into the archives and and reminiscing. You know, even though I wasn't at the company yet, uh, but I love those headlines. I want to write headlines like that. I think, uh, yeah. So so look for some kind of clever, clever Ooh. references to cultural things that I don't know about in my stories in the future. You were inspired. I, I like I like hearing it. Yeah. Okay, on to our next interview. Uh, why don't you tell us a little more about uh, what we're going to be hearing here? Craig, um, this is my friend uh, Jim Campbell. He's the managing partner and co-founder of Apcala. We chatted a lot about his relatively new company and how they've kind of entered the space, the sort of advisor, agent, broker space, and how uh, their business model, it's, it's somewhat unique. It's not just commissions. It's really not at all sort of the legacy uh, telco type stuff, although, you know, connectivity is certainly going to be a part of it. But it's really interesting learning about sort of the diversity of their portfolio and sort of what it takes to launch an agency a couple of months, maybe maybe a year before the pandemic and to thrive um, having started there. So kind of a born in the cloud company. That was pretty interesting. 
Oh, that's awesome. Well, let's roll the tape. In this case, uh, you're doing this solo, so thanks for giving me a few minutes off. Thanks. Take a breather, my friend. All right, everybody. I'm really glad to be joined by Jim Campbell, the founder and managing partner at Opcala, a North Carolina-based partner. Uh, Jim, welcome to the show today. Yeah, thanks, James. Nice to uh, see you again. Totally. Could you tell us a little bit about Opcala? Uh, what's the background? I know it's a relatively young company. Um, how, how'd you start that? What does it do? Sure. Yeah. Thanks for, for asking. Uh, so our, our business is just under three years old. We are uh, managed and operated by th- uh, three managing partners and one CTO, but we started our business, myself, a gentleman named Aaron Bach, and a third gentleman named Bryce Ulrey, um, with the intention of kind of disrupting how uh, the traditional decision-making and buying process for technology leaders is today. Uh, we feel like uh, the industry has a lot of bias and kind of self-interest involved. So our, our goal every day in waking up is to, to be an agnostic, trusted resource that our clients and, and the larger kind of industry can, uh, can learn from and, and make better, more informed decisions. I'm curious what you hear um, customers saying about the fact that they, they feel that bias. Like, how does that impact them? Yeah, I think there's a lot of pain. You know, most of the clients we have uh, have felt pain in the buying process, whether that's the sales uh, person they've worked with, whether that's the implementation or just the general product itself or product or solution, I guess, for that matter. So there's been pain. And and what we tend to learn or what we have learned is that we are selling against a lot of the bad experiences that came before us with our customers, right? So the, the, the challenges they faced learning new technology, making better decisions. So, so for us, it's been, I think our customers have found it to be a breath of fresh air. I think they've appreciated our, our, our candor and the way we go to market. And, and frankly, the lack of transparency that's been traditional is kind of not in our business model. So we're very transparent with our clients. They understand our business model, why we do what we do. And, and to answer your question, uh, I think it, it's been very rewarding for them and certainly for us. Awesome. I know last time we talked, you had said that there was maybe um, a question starting off, if starting the business, if you were going to do a, primarily a resale model, do I, am I recalling that correctly? And if so, what led you to do sort of the trusted advisor consultancy model? Yeah, so we um, a lot of our experience has been in the traditional resale model, which there's nothing wrong with that. And, and in full transparency, a small percent of our business has to go that direction based on channel programs not lo- allowing kind of the referral-based model, right? So it's not as as if we've completely sworn off of it. But what we found and what we believe is more of that agnostic advisor approach where we can help our clients evaluate multiple options without the threat of the vendor themselves being frustrated that that we're not working directly or only for them has been rewarding and again a good a good thing for our customers. So we went on uh, we made that decision early on that this is a business model that frankly might not be the most profitable comparatively, but it's right for our clients. It's a better model for us. We appreciate the way we we go to market. I think our customers do. So we decided pretty early on that the the referral model is is kind of more aligned to us. 
Yeah, it's a really good um, perspective on that. And um, yeah, I'm sure the, sure the customers appreciate that as well. Now, another thing you do that's unique is your stance on cloud. So I know that uh, Upcala is a registered Microsoft partner, a uh, cloud services partner. Correct. Yes, sir. Uh, so why, why'd you do that? What What's behind that? Sure. Yeah. So we initially were not. And I will tell you, based on our cloud experience and some of the conversations we were having with folks around Azure, around AWS, moving different types of workloads to the cloud, whether that be telephony or full apps and workloads into to kind of the hyperscalers themselves. But um, we just got asked the question a number of times. So uh, after multiple people asking, hey, can you do this? Can you help here? What we realized is the Microsoft CSP business is also just very kind of one directional, meaning you get licenses, you're usually paying less price and, and it is what it is, right? Your experience isn't all that good and it's not terribly bad. It's just somewhere in the middle. So we invested some, some time, some effort, some process into developing our Microsoft program where we are standard uh, discounts off list. So every customer is not paying less price, which usually puts us as an advantage on the price point, but also some of the operational things we do well, like we try to do licensing reviews every quarter. We try to help them help educate our clients on what's coming down the road, what licensing changes are happening. Most people say, hey, you need a PhD to be in the Microsoft world and understand what they're doing. Well, there's a labor of love to it, but we've we've tried very hard and it, fortunately we've been we've been growing very fast. So cloud is is not going anywhere. We we know that if you don't, you're not going to be long for the industry, right? So whether it's it's your Outlook and Office 365 licensing, whether it's your telephony, whether it's your contact center or anything in between, it's not going somewhere anywhere. So so we decide early on, let's let's position ourselves well and, and try to drive value for our clients. Yeah, I'm curious, was that before or after March 2020 that that, that, that sort of decision uh, came down? That was probably right around, maybe a little bit before. So we started, and don't quote me on this, I think uh, officially like May of 19 and maybe around six months, we we decided to be a, a gold partner or a CSP partner. Now we're at this point a gold Microsoft partner, but yeah, probably very soon. So we were well positioned for it, especially with a lot of our clients, as you probably know, Teams has been very, uh, have had a kind of this rocket growth because of COVID and um and, and being a Microsoft partner and helping them get to Teams, it was fortunate. We were lucky. You've also talked about, just in terms of adding value, um, building some IP. So I know a lot of partners don't have IP. What's Opcala doing in that area? Yeah, I think we've always tried to be different. In our industry, I feel like it's been too much based on relationships and people buying people, which which should never go away. No one's here saying that that should be any different, but the reality is, the way technology is evolving and how often and how quickly uh, these trends are changing, the way people have bought technology has remained the same. So for us, the IP is gonna be mainly customer facing with a little bit of back end, but, but generally speaking, the goal here is to help our clients uh, make more informed decisions more effectively so that it doesn't take a Jim or a James or an Aaron or a Bryce to necessarily be in front of them every single day to help make those decisions. So if we build our platforms correctly, uh, our clients are gonna probably see some 
increased efficiencies, maybe some more education around the tools. And we're hopeful that it's going to be a, a real disruptor for us. Fantastic. As we move into 2022, are there any trends or is there any advice that you'd like to share for your peers out there? I would say that um, the industry is in a, a strange time. I think COVID kind of necessity drives innovation. So this last 18 months has been a strange time for our business. I would say for 2022, for us, we are going to continue to drive value. So we wake up every day and say, how can we make our clients' lives easier? And I think for anyone else, whether that's a peer or an end user or someone in our industry, I think the question really is, how do we solve that equation? So for us, we're doing a lot of that IP. I think we're going to do some more things around customer experience just so that our clients love the way we do things and continue to do two things. So we're hopeful, we're excited about it. So that that's kind of where we stand. Love it. Well, Jim, thanks so much for talking to me today and uh, best of luck to you in 2022 and beyond. You too. Yeah. Appreciate you having me on, James. Craig, uh, was that somewhat of an entertaining conversation? How'd you, what'd you think? I loved it, James. Uh, I love that you're getting in touch even more every day with this agent community. Uh, they bring so much to our podcast and uh, kudos to you. They are a feisty bunch, Craig. I, uh, I love to hear what they have to say. And, uh, you know, I, I think of them as the, the heart and soul of, uh, you know, these are, you know, these archives we dug through. They, these were always the folks we were, uh, were looking to, to inform. So absolutely uh, it's great, great to follow up with them. Now, Craig, uh, we did some bridge songs earlier. I feel like now might be the time for you to bring out some closing songs. Ooh, ooh, interesting. Okay, all right, why don't you go for it? Uh, Show me what you got. Closing time, open all the doors and just close your All right, so that was pretty good, I got to say. But you know we can't formally close with any of those since they aren't from 2006. Ah, okay. Okay, well, here's a single release from 2006. Ah, you were doing so well. You should have taken the win with those closing songs. Oh, Craig. Oh, no. man, you got to give play, the Canadians some love. We play no nickel back on this podcast. Sorry, my friend. All right. If you'd like to check out the archive of Coffee with Craig and James, you can find us just about anywhere you get your podcasts. Of course, we'd love it if you check us out on the Greg News site. <laughs> Channelfutures.com. Thanks so much for joining us, and we will catch you again next time. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Eat well, rest up, my friends. To join the Black Parade.